fears I claim for my own And like a blind man got me back aside Praise the Lord, I saw the light I saw the light, I saw the light No more in darkness, no more in night Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside good to have you here this morning with us. So glad you could join us at Cap City this morning. Um, very different set today, very stripped back, laid back. And as always, uh, we just we want you to worship freely. If that means sitting, standing, you know, whatever you deem necessary, let's just say a word of prayer. Um, we're just going to continue on with the worship set this morning. Father God, we thank you for this time, Lord. God, we are thankful that despite what our weeks may have brought us, regardless of maybe how difficult or troubling or maybe even triumphant, God, you have brought us out of this place for this purpose, Lord. And God, we just long for you. I pray that you would just open our hearts, God, that you would open our eyes, that you would make us receptive to what you have for us today. God, that we may leave here changed better than when we came in. God, we would just we want to do all that we can to glorify and honor you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.
Just one. 
sing that chorus. Welcome to Capital City Church. We're so glad you're joining us today. Please share your updates, praises, and prayer requests on the connection card and drop it in the offering when it comes around later this morning. First time visitors, please let us get to know you through the connection card. And at the end of service, you can take it to the visitor welcome desk in the lobby to receive a small gift. Join us next Sunday for a momentous occasion where we begin the next step of our journey together with Hope Central and hear their incredible testimony of what brought them to us. This coming Wednesday, all are welcome to join us at 6 p.m. for a cake reception as we enter the halfway point for our Thrive groups. Small groups will start immediately after. And remember, it's still not too late to join us. If you're attending the Ark Encounter trip, Friendly reminder that the trip is this Friday, October 7th. The bus leaves the church at 7 a.m. That's October 7th, this Friday at 7 a.m. See Nan Davis if you have any questions. Thank you for supporting the ministries of Cap City Church. You can give online or by check or cash. You can see the bulletin for more details. Please welcome Pastor Jonathan with today's message. So the point of us doing an announcement video is so that I don't have to do announcements, but there's a couple I want to emphasize today. Um, we talked about Thrive Groups, our groups that meet on Wednesday night. So this week, if you haven't joined a Thrive Group or a Life Group or, or brought your children um, for Awana or your teens for youth on Wednesday night, if you're a teen right now and you, I don't want to show up, I might be the only one of the people there, we have 13 or 14 teens coming to the teen group already. So if you come, you're going to have some people to hang around. Um, but it, we're, in, we're coming into week four of those groups, and if you say, well, I haven't tried them, why not try the week that starts with cake? Right? Like, there's going to be cake at 6 o'clock, like, or 6.30, or whenever you decide to come. Get off, you know, get off work, you run home, you change your clothes if you have to, you eat dinner, and you come here and we've got dessert for you. So um, come be a part of that. I mean, Wednesday night, there's just such a great sense of fellowship and such a great environment here on Wednesday night. So come be a part of that um, with us. Um, and then, uh, again, it, it's in the video, but I, I just can't emphasize enough, if you're a guest here today, or if we haven't got to know each other, uh, me and Allison would love to spend some time with you. 
whether that be over a meal or if a phone call. Today, I guess we could Zoom. I would really not like to do that if that's okay. But, um, you know, we, we want to get to know you uh, as a church, and as uh, we're, we're just as new as some of you. Some of you might say, I feel kind of out of place. I've only been going here for a few weeks. I've only been going here for a few months. So um, I'm still kind of getting to know everybody as well. But if you are a guest here today, um, we would hope that you'd fill out a connection card just so that we get a chance to connect with you. We won't bother you too much. Um, like I said, probably just going to get an offer for me to go to dinner or go to coffee or something like that and, and make sure that you feel connected to the church. Um, we're wrapping up a series this week, um, which we entitled WWJD. And if you're new with us this week, we base this off the idea that sometime in the 90s, somebody created a bracelet that said WWJD on it. And it was just a bracelet you would wear and it would remind you before you made those big decisions or those small decisions in life that you would ask the question, what would Jesus do? And so we, we've taken a few passages and looked at them um, to see how maybe Jesus would live if he were here today, right? How would he live if he were here today? Because the more, and the more and the more that I've leaned into this series, and we could have we preached this series for 30 or 40 weeks. Maybe we'll come back and we'll preach it again some other time or, or, or down the road a little bit. But the more and more that I've studied for this series, the more I've realized how many preconceived ideas I have about Jesus that I walk around with and say, oh, Jesus would do this or Jesus would do that and go, well, man, it seems like there's something here in Scripture that's different than that. And maybe I ought to consider that and say, oh, I should change my life. So the first week, we talked about the fact that Jesus would be crazy about loving children, right? He'd be crazy about loving children. I, I told you that as, as uh, maybe as we age, we could almost put ourselves into one of two categories, somebody that absolutely loves seeing a little baby or someone that gets irritated uh, with them and what that might say about our spirit and if we've truly become childlike like Christ wanted to. And then last week we said that Jesus would be a friend of sinners. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And if you're not a friend with and sinners, you're not being like Jesus, right? You're not being like Jesus. So this week we're going to wrap up. And I, I do feel like the first two weeks have been a little bit more challenging than this one is in the sense that um, I feel like there's a lot of reward. Um, there's always reward that comes from the Word of God, but there's a lot of reward that comes in this one when we just recognize that Jesus would do anything for you. Do you know that? I mean, do you believe in your spirit this morning? Does your spirit bear witness to the fact that Jesus would do anything for you? He'd do anything for you. We're going to look at Mark chapter 10 today, and uh, we're going to start in verse 32. We're going to end in verse 52. I'm not going to read all those to you because they say there's nothing more boring than having someone read to you. So I'm going to read a few verses and then we're going to skip over some. It's a familiar story to many of us, but we'll start in Mark chapter 10, verse 32, where it says, Now they, that was Jesus and the disciples, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking on ahead of them. And they were amazed and those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and three days later he will rise from the dead. Now, anybody just want to stop right there and say, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. 
Now I want you to picture the disciples hearing these words, hearing what Jesus says is going to happen, happen to them. It, Jesus explaining to them over the last few years that they needed to be and live more like he was, and he just foretold all of this. Undoubtedly in a way that had to be probably a little bit more sorrowful than with a smile on his face. And James and John, the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee, responded to this by saying, Teacher, give us what we want. We know you just said something about dying on a cross. But we want you to do whatever we ask you. Now, Jesus, again, we're trying to be more like Jesus this morning, right? This guy would have had a few words for somebody who responded to my uh, (laughs) announcement about my death by saying, Jesus, we need something from you right now. But Jesus, full of grace and mercy, says, what do you want me to do for you guys? What do you want me to do? They said, grant us this. One of us on your right side and one of us on your left when, you, when we get into glory. <laughs> you can go home and read the next 10 verses to find out what the response was there and You'll note Jesus never actually told them no, but uh, let's jump down to Mark 10, 46. Then they came to Jericho. They continued to travel. They came to Jericho. And later, as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a large crowd, crowd, a beggar who was blind named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that Jesus, the Nazarene, was coming. He began to cry and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The people told him to shut up. Church, I hope we're not telling people to shut up who are crying out for mercy. But he kept crying, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. So they called the man who was blind, saying to him, Take courage, stand up, for he is calling to you. And throwing off his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And replying to him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? Does that sound familiar? And the man who was blind to him said, Rabbi, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. You will note that after the man received his sight, Jesus looked at him and said, Go. But the man said, No, I'm coming with you. I'm coming with you. Let's pray this morning. Father, we pray That as we look at this passage this morning, that we would recognize that you are a father that wants to do anything for your children. You know our hurt. You know our pain. You know the deepest cries of our heart. Give us the courage and the humility to cry out to you and ask for the things that we need. But Lord, above all things, Would you help us to see that there's no greater thing that we could ask for than to see what you see? 
to have a fresh vision from you, Lord, so that we could be like you. Lord, that somehow, if possible, that we could walk this earth and live the way that you would if you were walking here with us today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, our first thought. You've already heard me say it, but I want to I clarify it today. You can ask for whatever you want. You can ask for whatever you want. James and John started off by asking for special seats in heaven. And by the way, you'll notice, like I said, Jesus didn't even necessarily say no. I mean, when was the last time any of you asked Jesus for something greater than a throne in heaven? A throne in heaven, that's what they asked for. This week we were going through the drive-thru. I'm still working through this fast food problem. (laughs) But it was Monday night, and the boys had just wrapped up football practice, and Do you think it's any coincidence that in in many of our routes, the easiest place to stop is McDonald's? I mean, it's it's there. You don't want it. You don't need it. You should not have it. But billions and billions of people are being served, are they not? I thought about that last last Saturday when I was at McDonald's as I continue my confession of my fast food uh, issues here. Last Saturday when I was at McDonald's, there was a wait. I mean, there was a wait and maybe the reality of how healthy or unhealthy we are is how long we'll sit in a McDonald's and wait for that food. Um, but, but I left and I went back to get in the van because we went inside because I've told you, I think you're smart, like at least be the person that's willing to get out of your car if you're going to eat two or three Big Macs, right? Like get a few steps in and, and justify it a little bit. But the line was so long around the building that we just went inside. And I looked, I, I, I sat there and I told Allison, I said, in McDonald's there were rich people. There were poor people. There were pretty people. There were kind people. (laughs) Right? There were mean people. There were nice people. Like, every kind of person in America eats McDonald's, don't they? I mean, billions are eating it somewhere. Anyway, we're on the way home from practice, and we were going to get the boys chocolate chip cookies. So we pulled up, and we ordered chocolate chip cookies, and we were pulling away. And Luke said, hey, Dad, did you get me ice cream? I said, no, no, I I didn't know you wanted ice cream, Luke. He said, Dad, you know I love ice cream. I said, I know, buddy, but but you didn't ask for it. If you would have asked for it, I definitely would have got you an ice cream instead of a cookie. You already know where I'm headed, don't you? It's a clear scriptural principle that God wants us to talk to him and ask him for what we want to see him do. Why why is this? Some of you, I mean, I don't know how many, I really, probably when I look at scripture, if there's a principle I wrestle with more than any, that I study more than any, it's prayer. Because there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff about prayer in the Bible, isn't there? Right? It's, we're supposed to pray for this, and he'll take care of these things, but he wants us to pray for these things, and am I supposed to pray for other people being hurt, or am I supposed to pray against powers and principalities and high places? I don't know. And maybe I'm supposed to say mixed up, uh, so I keep studying it, and I keep working through all of it. And maybe in different seasons, we need to do different things. But it's a clear scriptural principle that God wants us to ask him for what we want. So why is this the case? I know I know Luke loves ice cream. He's a good all-American boy. 
We've raised him right. He likes ice cream. So why didn't I just get him ice cream that night? Well, as all of you know who have raised children, sometimes our kids don't eat all their food. Maybe your kids are better than mine, right? Sometimes our kids don't eat all their food. And sometimes things go to waste. And we tell them we're going to send it to kids in Africa or something like that, right? Sometimes, sometimes an acknowledgement of our desires assures the giver, listen to this church, sometimes an acknowledgement of our desire informs the giver that what's being given won't go to waste. God wants to give good things to those who he knows will use those things to bring him glory. God says, make your request known to me. He says, seek and you'll find. He says, knock and it will be open. He says, ask and it will be given to you. He says, anything that you ask in my name will be given. In Psalm 37, he says he wants to give you the desires of your heart. So what's accomplished in asking? Doesn't he already know? If he's going to give me the desires of my heart, that means he knows something that maybe other people don't even know about me. So why is it important to ask? Asking for something typically exhibits the fact that you don't currently have what you're asking for or you can't obtain it on your own. Or I'm sitting in my recliner, I'm too lazy to get something from the kitchen and I ask one of the boys to get it for me anyway, right? That, that principle doesn't apply here. I'm asking because I don't have it or I can't obtain it on my own. I need help. Did you know asking implies a need for help or a desire for help? It shows humility on my part. Here's another illustration from this week. I am incredibly challenged when it comes to fixing things around the house. I get injured. There are medical bills. And most of the time the projects cost more than if I would have paid somebody that wanted to gouge me to do it. I walked into Home Depot this week because I wanted a, a pegboard. Is that what we call it? Yeah. I wanted a pegboard for my office at home, and I had a pegboard, and I needed some screws to hang it. So I needed a certain screw from Home Depot, and I didn't want to ask for help. And so I wasted way too much time in Home Depot. I'll let, I'll let you know, I was, I was pretty much behind on my schedule all day, whatever day that was. And I still sat there and wasted way too much time in Home Depot. I spent money on the wrong screw, and I bought a whole box of them just so we'd have extras the next time. I go home, and I still need a screw. And you know what's crazy about all that is that Home Depot had every screw I could possibly need for anything in my house. And multiple people that could have helped me find it. Church, would you hear me this morning? Home Depot having every screw pales in comparison to the knowledge and the resources that God wants to give us. But we think we know better. We don't want to seem needy. I'm a grown man. I, I don't want to look like a fool asking for such an elementary thing, but my project took twice as long, cost more money, and was more frustrating than it needed to be. Did you know that the plans that God has for you are taking far longer than he wanted them to, costing you way more money, way more tears, way more pain, because you're trying to do it on your own power? Amen. 
church, I feel like since I've been here, if you've been listening to me any of these last few months, I, I've already been beating up on your prayer life a little bit, and I've been sneaking it in here to try to be kind of nice, saying stuff like we need to ask for bigger and better things, and, and we should, but God still wants to hear our requests, so why don't we get everything that we ask for? James chapter 4, verse 3 teaches us that we ask and we do not receive because we ask with the wrong motives, so that we may spend what we request on our pleasures. Now, there's a principle that I've come to understand in life that I, I really do hold to be true. I've come to believe in this life that you can have just about whatever you want. And let me work through that with you for a second. There's this one percenters or whatever, right? And if you want to get into that, I, really, they're like a 0.4 percenters if you, want to be, if you want to be real about it. There are these people that do things like create Facebook in a college dorm room and make billions of dollars. That might not be you. But for the most part, the things that you think you want, your neighbor's car, your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, all those different things that we're not supposed to chase after, just about anything that you want in this life, you can have it, especially in North America. I don't know if I could preach that sermon anywhere else, but especially in North America, you can have just about whatever you want. Now, I'm not saying that it's not going to cost you something, and it might not cost you something dearly. It could cost you up to and even your soul. But you can have just about whatever you want. But there will, there will always be a price. And I'm not saying that you can't ask for lesser things. James says you, ask, you don't receive because you ask for things with the wrong motivation. And I'm not saying that when you pray that you can't ask for lesser things. But why would you want to? Why do we ask for lesser things? Just wrestle with that. I, maybe God will just give you something in your spirit this morning and say, ask God that question. Why have I been asking for lesser things? As if there's things that he cannot do. As if we think that we're undeserving. By the way, you're undeserving of everything that you ask for. It's through his grace that he grants our request. In our story today, Jesus poses the question twice, what do you want me to do for you? James and John answer asking for personal glory. But blind Bart, can we, Bart, okay, well, he can be Bart today, can he? But blind Bart says, have mercy on me. He said, Jesus, I need your mercy. Church, we need his mercy, and we need to recognize our need for Jesus. That's our second kind of big thought this morning. We have to recognize our need for Jesus. In our story today, James and John could represent those who had all that they needed, but still couldn't see all that he had for them. On the other hand, blind Bartimaeus recognized his own need and saw the one who could meet his need in a way that no one else could. Maybe, church, and when I say church, I'm talking to each one of you because you're all members of the church of Jesus Christ. Maybe he's still not quite sure if you're going to attribute credit to him. And so he allows that situation to continue in your life. Until like blind Martimaeus, he's going to know, hey, I know there's nobody else on this earth. There's nothing I can do in my own power. No self-help, no doctor, no, no clinic, no anything that I can do. And when, I re when he really got to a place when he knew there was only one source of power that was going to be able to make a difference, Jesus showed up. Isn't that good? You might be right there today and say, I don't know if I can handle it anymore. I don't know that there's a solution for me anywhere on this earth. And when we can begin to say those things out loud, 
that's when Jesus walks into Jericho. He said, Jesus, I need your mercy. So his, his response, Bartimaeus' response that, that day to receiving the vision was to follow Jesus. Christian, it is so important that we recognize and continually be reminded of our need for Jesus. And here's just a quick snippet for you. If you say, Jonathan, I'm, I'm, I hear the whole message today and I need to understand how I can, how I can acknowledge and, and recognize continually and be reminded of our need for Jesus, you do it by continually starting each day saying thank you. That's just an easy, applicable principle. If you hear nothing else today, if you start every day recognizing that Jesus is the giver of all things, then you'll continue to go back to him to receive more and won't rely on yourself. Here's just a few things we need Jesus for. We need Jesus for our salvation. The psalmist writes in 118.21, I will give thanks to you, for you have answered me and you have become my salvation. Not just in our moment of accepting Jesus, but salvation talks or speaks of us being saved. Not just from eternal death, but by being kept in relationship with him, which is often referred to as grace. We need Jesus because we need his grace. We need his grace every day, every afternoon, every evening, and with each passing moment. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, his grace acts as a covering for us and keeps us from so much sin and evil that we may wonderfully never even be aware of. I wonder if one day in heaven we're going to get a glimpse of all the evil and all the demonic stuff that was deflected from us because we were filled from the Holy Spirit and he was fighting our battles for us. Beyond his grace that keeps us, he gives us provision for the work which he's called us into. If you have something, it comes from him. The Bible tells us that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. Continually give him praise for what you have, and that will keep us grounded on our de- in our dependency on him. Even your desires and your passions come from him. I've been talking to a few people lately, kind of one-on-one, about their desires and their passions in their life, and it just excites me. Because I'm going, God gave that to you. God gave that to you. God, And I start to see it come out of that person. Just keep on coming. Keep seeing what God wants to do with it. Keep acknowledging it because God's going to do awesome things with it. Now, I'm not talking about the desires or passions that have been perverted or misguided by the world. Every sin is just a perversion or a misuse of God's God-given division, uh, desire or passion. To this, I would say... I want you to understand when you're working with that person that hasn't come to Christ yet. Last week, we were so bold as to call them sinners. But when you're working with that person that hasn't come to Christ at this point, I don't know if you've ever said this before, but I've been around somebody that's not a Christian. I go, I can't wait to see how they're going to work for God when they get saved. Isn't that cool? I mean, the, the guy that's talking about a lot of this stuff is the Apostle Paul. He was the greatest enemy of the church. And isn't it just like God to take the greatest enemy of the church and make him the greatest evangelist for the church? That's what he wants to do with that person that you're ready to give up on, that person you're tired of the way that they're living. Hey, the deeper in the stuff that they are, the more powerful God can use their story on the other side. Recognizing our need for Jesus means acknowledging he is the source of our salvation, our grace, our provisions, our desires and our passion and vision and so much more. But since our story lends itself to vision today, I'm not really even sure that Colton knew what we were doing when we sang, I saw the light. Just like a blind man, we were wandering. 
Praise the Lord. I saw the light. Bartimaeus saw the light that day. But since our story lends towards vision today, let's dig in there just a little bit to talk about what Jesus wants to do for you. The book of Proverbs teaches us that without vision, uh, people die. That's what it says. Vision, what is vision, right? Is that something, is that a statement we're supposed to write on the wall somewhere? I mean, it's easy for us to understand what physical vision is, but spiritual vision. I, I think it's a prayer that's been lost on the church today. And I'm not talking about pastors and leaders. I'm talking about lay people. God has a vision he wants to share with you. And you know what it is? It's the same vision he wants to share with me. It's the same vision he wants, because it's his vision. And so he wants to share it. Any place where the church doesn't see eye to eye, we call it division. Division comes from the root word die, two, vision, vision, two visions. There's two visions and we struggle. But God has one vision for his church. And as we ask God to impart vision to us, we're going to be more unified. And we're going to be able to move forward in unity for him. Vision. Pastor, how do I pray for vision? Why do I pray for vision? Vision equates to your understanding your purpose for the future. You got that? Vision equates to you understanding your purpose in God for the future. When you don't see a future, kind of doing some reverse engineering here for you today. When you don't see a future, you don't have hope. When you don't see a future, you don't have hope. Hopelessness steals your energy. When you have no energy, you sit around and you become anxious and depressed. You lose your desire to move forward and perhaps even the will to live. So let me, when I say we are reverse engineering this a little bit, if you're struggling today with wanting to go on, I know at any given moment when we're having this conversation that there could be somebody in our presence that thought about not going on this week. Keep fighting. Keep pressing on. If you don't feel like you have a purpose, if you don't feel like you have a will to live, it's probably because you're hopeless. If you're hopeless, it's because you don't have hope, right? That's pretty easy. But you don't have hope because you don't have vision and you don't have a picture of the future. And God's got this great big vision that he wants you to be a part of. But your eyes are closed and they're focused on lesser things. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says that a soldier who is fighting the battle does not let themselves get tangled up in the everyday affairs of things going around them. Church, I do my best to be gracious towards you. But every once in a while, somebody comes up to me and talks to me about something, and I want to say, what in the world does that have to do with the battle we're in? I don't care what website it was on or what social... Did you know you can find all the anxiety and all the depression and all the discouragement you want if you want to look at everything that's not the Bible... You speak to me quite a bit about your Bible reading when you come in and you talk to me about what you read on the internet instead of about what you found in the Word. Woo! Get in the Word, church. You're asking for vision from God and you won't even look at what he's saying. I'm hopeless, Jonathan. Well, what's your source of hope? 10 TV? Facebook? Instagram? That guy at work that keeps telling you the stories? Just get away from him. Man, <laughs> here's what he wants for you. I told you, you can ask him, right? I qualify, you can leave here today and say, Pastor said I could ask for a new car. You go ask him for a new car, you do whatever you want. I'm going to tell you what to look for. It's right there. Seek vision, not position. Seek vision, not position. Did you know you're all seeking a, a position? I hope you're not all, but some of you are. 
That's what happened in our story, isn't it? In our story, James and John ask for position, but blind Bartimaeus asked for vision. You want a new position because you don't have the vision that you need to have. You don't have the God-given vision, and so you want a new position. You see, when you become part of the God-given vision, you don't care about what your position is because where was Bartimaeus after he was healed? He was walking next to Jesus. Walking next to Jesus, that's where we should want to be. And if we're anywhere but that, if we're not asking for vision, we're asking for position. You might think, I, I don't ask for position. But it's not just about being exalted or lifted up or a new title or a new ministry or a new job or a new career. But you, want, you ask God to give you a new relationship, a, a new career, a new financial situation, a new place to live, a new place to go to church. We think changing all these things are going to help us somehow be happier, but we're only going to be happier when we see that the vision that he has for us is to position ourselves walking with him. Too often, we want God to change our position rather than showing us what he's trying to do. We said last month, we asked God to take us out of situations rather than asking him to show us where he's working in them. We just said you could ask him for whatever you want, but since he's willing to do anything for you, ask for the greater thing. Ask for the greater thing. We pray for him to move us in and out of our situations. We pray for him to fix little issues at work. We pray for our neighbor's dog to quit barking. We pray for Aunt Susie's little toenail. Don't we? You can pray for Aunt Susie. That's okay. But I'll just tell you what. I'll bet God knows about Aunt Susie's little toenail. And if you pray for vision, he can heal her toenail too. But if that's all you want, I'm sure he'll give it to you. We pray about our bills while we waste most of our money, and we pray for our kids to love God when we don't read the Bible to them or in front of them. I know that today's message was titled, He Would Do Anything For You, but what greater request could you make than to see things from God's perspective? Wow, wouldn't that be awesome? To gain wisdom and understanding, to speak into and operate throughout the challenges of this life. Life is temporal. It's temporal. Everything that you think you want in this life, it's going to be gone like that. Cap City, we've, had, we've lost four people that were either in this church or relatives of people in this church in, in a span of eight days. I've certainly been reminded of the, of the temporality of life. If you've lived longer than a year or two on this planet, you recognize that pain is inevitable, is it not? We're going to experience pain. But Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, this statement is trustworthy. If we died with him, we'll live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, how about this one? He will be faithful because he cannot deny himself. Amen. Isaiah 40 says, everything is temporal, but the word of the Lord is eternal. It's enduring and it will last forever. It will not fail. We keep asking for temporal ideas, temporal solutions, when he wants to give us the things that will open our eyes to his vision, open our ears to the secrets of the kingdom, open our mouths to speak with authority on the issues of this life. I was in Ed's Thrive Group this week, and Paul, I, I mean, y'all try to make your, I, I think y'all try to make some of your Bible heroes kind of superheroes and act like they didn't ever struggle with their humanity a little bit. 
But I believe Paul might have just been leaning on a table like this with a little smirk, probably in prison, because that's where he was half his life. No big deal. He'll get out and go preach the gospel again. He goes, yeah, I hear some of y'all are preaching Jesus like you think you know what's going on. He goes, we'll see when I get there who's got some authority. Now, why do I think he said that with a little bit of smile on his face? Maybe, well, first off, he's, in, you know, he's hanging out in prison and just having to work through all these different things and knows what he's given. So I don't think he's worried about getting too lifted up. But church, did you know that Jesus wants to give you authority to speak over the issues of life? He still wants to give people the ability to lay hands on other people and see healing take place. He still wants to give people the ability to uh, anoint others and pray for them and see the chains of addiction broken. Right? We believe that, don't we? He wants to give that authority. But what Paul was saying is you can't fake it. You can't just come to church and, and, and worship because you had too much coffee so you get excited while you're here on Sunday morning and, and, and make sure you dress nice and tithe and all those things are good and well. But he said, I'm going to know when I get there who's been on their knees crying out to me for hours on end. I'm going to know which one has been devouring and has a healthy appetite for the word of God. You can't fake that stuff, church. He wants to give that authority to his believers. When blind Bartimaeus saw the one who had the ability to meet his every need, he decided to stay close to Jesus so that he could use his vision to see the things that Jesus was seeing. The first thing I have to question when somebody struggles to see a greater vision that God has for his church and for his people is how close are you walking to him? Because if you're standing next to him, you're going to see what he's seeing. So our question as we move towards a time of response this morning is, why don't you ask him? Why don't you ask him? I'm going to invite the team to come forward. And, and today, Jesus still poses the question, what do you want me to do for you? So why don't you ask him today? When God gives us those things we request, we get to see more of him, right? If you ask God to make the neighbor's dog stop barking and stops barking, you hey, maybe God heard my prayer. But when we request vision, we get to see more of his plan. We get to see more of his plan. He want, he's not trying to keep it a secret. Jesus was never trying to be, a, like he was never trying to keep it a secret from y'all. It changes our outlook. That's what it does. When we have his understanding I just wish I could understand. Does that ever drive you crazy sometime? You just don't, you, you got to know. Are you a person that's got to know? I got to know. What's going on? Oh, we're doing something church. What is it? You going to tell me? You got to tell me. You going to tell me? Some of you are like that. You don't want to, nobody's going to amen to that, right? But there's certain things like, hey, I got to know. Who do I call? Who do I check in with? Where, where's the gossip? Somebody's got to fill me in on what's going on. I'll tell you what, the more and more I do this, I'm, I like being in the dark. <laughs> I don't need to know everything. I don't know what God's got for us. I want his vision. What I'm saying is, again, there's a passion that's been perverted. When you got to know every little detail about what's going on in people's lives, that's the devil taking a desire for vision, and he's diminishing it to a desire for gossip. God wants you to be in the know. He gave you a passion for his vision, but it's been misappropriated. He wants you to know what he sees. It changes our outlook, church, when we receive his vision. It turns our anxiety into prayer and peace. It turns our challenges into opportunities. It turns our passions into tools for his glory. It turns my sorrow to joy and my mourning to dancing. It turns my fear into trust and my needs into seeing his provision. 
It turns my anger into compassion. Church, the world's so angry, and I hope you're not. Man, it shouldn't take somebody cutting you off on traffic for you to lose your religion. That tells us that there's anger resting in, the bo- in your bosom, right? That's what the Bible says, anger rests in the bosom of a fool. It means you're foolish. It turns my anger into compassion, my struggle into his strength, and my defeat into his victory. And I get to share in that victory. It turns my loss into gain for his kingdom. If I could circle back to Luke here for just a minute, and I'm not talking about the apostle, but my 10-year-old. I can't even count the number of times my kids have asked for something at a restaurant, and I responded, are you going to eat it? Because, right, the bigger the family gets when you go out there, that bill gets bigger and bigger. Let's just be real. And I wonder this morning how many times God wants to know if we're really going to use what he gives us for his glory to expand the kingdom, to share his message with others. Do you know, do you know how often I, I, I think he wants to know that that's the case? Every single time. If God gives you a peace, I mean, seriously, church, I'm trying to challenge you here in your prayer life a little bit this morning. Asking God for peace so you can sit on the couch and take a nap, that's not peace. And that's not purpose. I get that you might be beat up, you might be downtrodden, you might be exhausted, maybe you do need a break. You could take a Sabbath every week. The Bible says something about that. He gave that to you. But if God gives you peace, are you just going to sit on the couch and veg? Or are you going to impart that peace to others? If he gives you joy, are you going to exhibit it in front of others during hard times? If he gives you love, are you going to go to those who are hurting? Or are you going to keep it to yourself? If he gives you vision, listen, you might ask for vision this morning. If he gives you vision to see what he is doing, are you going to invest your resources, surrender your will, and devote your energy to seeing it come to pass? I'll bet if you saw how he's going to bring others to repentance through your wayward child, it would change your attitude. I'll bet if you saw how he was going to cause the struggle in your marriage to save another's marriage, it would give you the strength to stick with it. I'll bet if you saw how he was going to bless you and your family, you would give generously and without expectation. Ask him this morning, church, for fresh vision. We qualify him for some things, but not others. Why do we keep a list of things that God cannot do? He said he would, so why don't you ask? He said he would, so why don't you ask? Would you stand with me this morning? We didn't pray earlier. It's always okay to pray a lot, but I wanted you to really think about what it meant to respond in prayer this morning. Have you asked him? Have you asked him? I'm not talking about, oh, dear God, get me out of this traffic. Oh, God, save my kid. I'm talking about, God, I'm serious about this. I want you to look at my heart and see that this is the desire of my heart, that this is what I want to see you do in my life. And I've got good reasons, and if you do it, God, I'm going to give you all the glory. We're going to come to the altar today, and we're going to ask for that fresh vision. Then we're going to daily seek new vision through the reading of his word and through speaking and listening to him in prayer. Man, if you can't come up with anything to pray this morning, here's ultimately what I believe blind Bartimaeus was saying when he recognized he was speaking to the Savior of the world. And if you haven't been with me all morning and you're just tuning in, blind Bartimaeus was saying, Jesus, I want to see what you're seeing so I can be what you are being. Jesus, I want to see what you are seeing 
so I can be what you are being. We struggle to be Jesus because we're looking through carnal eyes rather than through the eyes of the Savior. When you see what he sees, it will cause you to want to live like he lived. That's the whole goal of this series. Bow your heads with me this morning. Let me pray over you, and then we'll give you a chance to respond today. Jesus, I want to see what you're seeing so I can be what you are being. Help me to see the hurting so I can love. Help me to see the need so I can give. Help me to see the wounded so I can be patient and compassionate. Lord, let me see your kingdom coming so that I'll invite others to come in. God, I know all over this place there's hurts. God, there's unanswered prayers. God, would you maybe just help those individuals here that are frustrated with their prayer life? They say, God, I've been begging, I've been pleading, I've been knocking, I've been asking. God, would you maybe just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to their heart and say, Christian, brother, sister in Christ, son and daughter of God, if I give this to you, are you going to use it? Will you use it for my glory? I know your heart. I know you can't lie to me. We can't lie to God, folks. But what if we got sincere about saying, yeah, I want this so bad that if God gives it to me, I'm going to do everything I can to use it for the work of his kingdom. I believe that when that's where we are, he's going to act and he's going to fulfill those prayers in whatever way will bring the greatest glory to him. Church, make that your prayer this morning to bring glory to him through every situation and he'll empower you to get through it. Lord, we talk to you and we speak all these things over your people in the name of Jesus. Amen.
about the message that we preached. I know she'll be okay. I saw Amanda praying at the altar, and some of you might not know, Amanda works for World Vision, and the thought just came into my mind. World Vision, like, I'm not trying to sell you on the idea of supporting World Vision in this moment, but just to say this, to say you have a World Vision is, is a very big vision. God's given us a vision even bigger than that. His kingdom's bigger than this world. He said it's not of this world. The enemy wants to shrink your vision. That's his goal. The more you think about yourself, the more you think about your problems, the less good you'll be to God. Do you understand that this morning? I hope you'll receive that. It's the enemy's plan to get you so focused to shrink your vision on you and yours, if that makes sense. You gotta care about you. You gotta care about your family for sure. But he wants you and your family to be part of his greater vision. He doesn't want you just to be... The enemy wants to magnify those little things in your life so that you won't be able to see the greater vision that God has for you. I hope you were able to receive this message this morning. It was an important one. Father, we thank you this morning that you allow us to be part of the greater vision that you have for your people. Lord, that we would run to those places where we see people fulfilling your vision through sharing the gospel, by being generous, by being kind, by being loving in difficult situations. Lord, I pray that before we leave this place today, God, that your Holy Spirit would just give vision to this people. Whatever that means and however you choose to do it, that you would continually open our eyes to the work of your hand, that we would see where you're working and we would get involved. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to be seated this morning. If you've been watching online, I do hope you'll join us very, very soon on our, at our Rathmel Road campus. And uh, you'll be welcome and, and you'll be among, among friends. So um, we do say goodbye till we see you next Sunday. But for those of you that are in-house with us here, um, we're going to invite our ushers to come forward to help receive 
our, our morning tithes, our offerings, those gifts of generosity that God might be calling you to today. Um, please do. Many of you know, and, and it, time wouldn't allow for me to talk about um, some of the challenges that we've had um, with people that have been lost in the church. Um, so hopefully you're staying connected enough to different individuals in the church to be aware of some of those things that are taking place. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that here in just a second, a little bit more, but let me pray over the offering. Father, we thank you that you have given so much to us. Help us to recognize God and acknowledge this morning as we give that every good and perfect thing does come from you. And then receive this back, Lord, as a, as a sacrifice so that we would continually acknowledge um, that you're the one that gives these things. In Jesus' name, amen.